And I know, I know you think we're bait and switching on this one, and we're going to turn it into a conversation about small groups. Um, I certainly think that small groups in the church are a part of the equation. I, I'm sure I'm certain about that. But we want to start thinking beyond what's become the traditional small group at faith community. The model that we've always kind of had at faith community is that at least 30, maybe 40 years old in the church, at least in North America. And it's time for us to think beyond that and to break out of that tradition. We've been doing small groups since day one at Faith Community, um, over 17 years. There were some Sundays where we were, before we moved in this building, where we were portable, where our Sunday space wasn't available to us, which wasn't a big deal because we can just met in small groups. We did it every week. Um, so, so, yeah, small groups are going to be part of the discussion tonight, but even with that, we need to be willing to deconstruct and really evaluate the way that we do groups. And then we need to go beyond what we've always done and thought of about small groups and uh, talk about other environments. Uh, some that are already in place, uh, like some of our ministry teams, for instance, and then be willing to ex- explore some ideas like mentoring one-on-one or couple-to-couple, uh, maybe uh, community coffee house. I mean, who knows what? I don't know. I just don't know. I'm just throwing ideas out there. And that's what we're going to do tonight. So anyway, I, we'd love for you to join us tonight at 6.30. Uh, we're going to do some blue sky thinking. Um, there's nothing off limits. We're going uh, to talk about just to get as creative as you can about environments where meaningful relationships can flow. And, of course, a big component of that is coffee. And if you're going to have coffee, uh, which we will have tonight, it would be nice to have something sweet to go with it. So if you're going to come tonight, grab something sweet that you can share. That would be awesome. If you can't, uh, that's fine. We'll still let you in. So tonight, 630. Here's the questions I've been asking myself. And I've been, asked, I've been talking to some people about this in the last few weeks. What if, what if, what if? What if we could create environments where real relationships, relationships with God and relationships with each other, could grow every time that we gather? What if all kinds of people could gather in these environments to hear inspiring stories, to engage in conversation on a regular basis? What if we gathered with one another to discuss topics that are relevant to our lives, ask questions, answer questions that people are actually asking, spend lots of time in guided conversations, experience a spiritual aha kind of thing, that connects God to our everyday lives. So the compelling reason for these kinds of relationships and the teaching I want to get into today uh, comes from something Jesus said. And this is not a passage that I've ever seen on a bumper sticker uh, or on a calendar or on a Facebook meme. This isn't really happy, cheerful stuff, um, but it's something Jesus said, and that's where I want to go today. So uh, we're going to start in Luke 17. If you're sitting somewhere where you can see your Bible, uh, let's open there. Uh, Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. But before we go any further, let's just stop and pray and ask for God to guide us. Heavenly Father, we're just thankful for this time together in this environment. We're thankful for the opportunity uh, to meet here every Sunday to... Uh, reconnect, to uh, pour into each other, to hear from your word, to worship as a body. Um, we're, just, we're just grateful for that. So we ask now, God, that you would go before us in these next few minutes as we open your word. I pray that the, uh, the scripture would be clear. I pray that uh, this idea that Jesus presents would grip us and would, would just move us to action. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 17. Um, I'm going to just Read this verse, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. So Jesus looks at the people that he loves the most, his inner circle of disciples, and he says, let me just give you a heads up about life. Eventually, you're going to stumble over something. 
when you stumble over something, it's because you didn't see it, right? I mean, if we saw it, we wouldn't stumble over it. And Jesus says, I just got to give you a heads up. As you go along in your life, things that cause people to stumble, things that will potentially cause you to stumble, they're just going to be there. They're going to be in your way. In the Greek, now, don't you love it when I say that? In the Greek? Like, I'm a Greek scholar? Yeah, because I took, like, one semester of Greek in, like, 1984, and I pretty much learned the alphabet, and that's pretty much it, so I can pronounce names of fraternities. I don't know. I don't I don't know Greek. Let's just I'll throw that out there, okay? But I like to read the thoughts of people who do and understand it. So here's what I've learned about this passage. In the Greek, there's always, uh, they always put the most important word first in the sentence. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody else who talks like that. Some of you have. You just haven't realized it. This is what's known as Yoda speak. <laughs> oh, yeah, now you're getting it right. Yeah, this is where it comes from. Um, and I, yes, I know who Yoda is because I haven't been living under a rock for the last 34 years. I know who, I've never seen a Star Wars movie, but they just don't interest me, but I'm not much of a movie watcher. And then the idea of Star Wars never really did it for me. And don't get mad at me and don't leave now and go write nasty things about me online. Just don't take it personally. Um, I like some things you don't like. So <laughs> I've never seen it. I've never I've never seen Star Wars, but I have to admit, I have seen every episode of The Office, and I figured out pretty quick that Michael Scott and his girlfriend Holly often spoke to each other in Yoda speak, so I knew what's going on there. I'm not, you know, I'm pretty culturally sensitive. So anyway, that has nothing to do with anything except I was talking about something important. Yoda. Yoda is the the, uh, Grand Jedi Master, so I understand. And Yoda is credited with all kinds of wise and memorable sayings uh, all throughout this movie franchise. So Yoda speaks in an object-subject-verb uh, sentence structure, which is kind of uh, backwards from the way we tend to talk. For instance, Yoda said things like this. He said, truly wonderful the mind of a child is. He said, powerful you have become, the dark side I sense in you. He said, patience you must have. He said, when you look at the dark side, careful you must be. And then he said, impossible to see the future is. So Yoda speak has its roots in Koine Greek, which is kind of cool. So you might have learned something today. Because Koine Greek often puts the most important word of a sentence first. So the literal translation of this verse would say, impossible it is. Doesn't that sound like Yoda? Impossible it is for stumbling blocks not to come. That's the literal, literal translation. That's what Jesus said. That's what he emphasizes That you need to know that no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how long your parents have been Christians, no matter how many generations of people in your family were Christians, even preachers' kids and missionaries' kids, and you know, and doesn't really matter. Jesus says it's impossible for you to live life without there being things thrown at your feet that have the potential to trip you up. It's going to happen. And those words in verse one where he says things that cause people to stumble literally means a trap. So something that traps you. Jesus is using it figuratively. He's talking about things like those those desires, those relationships, whatever, that blindside us, you know, and the next thing we know, something's happened to our faith. Next thing we know, something's happened to our intimacy with God. Next thing we know, we're still coming to church most of the time, but we're not quite as involved as we used to be. Next thing we know, we're here, but our heart's not really in it. Next thing we know, it's been months since we've read our Bible. We think we know where it is, but we're not really sure. 
Next thing we know, it's been months since we've really prayed, you know, anything beyond God, get me out of this mess. Things that cause people to stumble are anything that leads us to act contrary to a proper course of action or set of beliefs. That's the technical definition of the kinds of things that cause us to stumble. And this isn't new information. In fact, if you grew up in church, you have your own version of this, because although you grew up in church somewhere along the way, you probably stumbled out of church, right? That's the story for a lot of people, and there are lots of things that cause us to stumble, and some of the things that cause us to stumble and to drift away from God are in and of themselves good things. The thing I want you to hear today, as smart as you are, and as mature as you are as a follower of Christ, as knowledgeable as you are about the Bible, as involved as you are in stuff around the church, as spiritual as you are, in spite of all that, Jesus says it's impossible for you to get through your life without, at some point in your life, without something being thrown in your way that has the potential to cause you to stumble. Sometimes it's ideas. If you go off to college and somebody presented uh, you with some new ideas and things your parents had no answer to, new information, and it caused you to stumble and caused you to stumble out of church and away from belief and maybe even away from faith in God. Some of you, maybe that was your experience. I think for most of us, when we think about our history and the things that have caused us to stumble, to stumble away, was people, a different set of friends, you know, with different values. And, and some of you have friends right now, and, uh, and you're here, and they're not. They're not in any church this morning, and they aren't in any church any Sunday morning. Uh, and if you're honest, they're kind of a stumbling block for you right now. Or maybe you're in love, you know, you're in a relationship, or maybe you're, you've moved in and there's some tension and, and you prefer to avoid the topic when you're here with your church friends. But the truth is that person, that relationship, is the thing that has or will cause you to stumble. And I know, I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, no, no, not, not, not me, not me. I will never abandon God. I, will, I love Jesus. I will always serve him. I will always be involved in the church. I will never abandon my faith. I will always have a personal growing relationship with God. There are probably some people in this room that would love to sit down with you and tell you their story because it looks very much like yours. Uh, and eventually, you know, somewhere in their story, they stumble. Another thing that has enormous potential to cause us to stumble is wealth or money. You've heard the term deceitfulness of, of riches. Ever heard that term? Have you ever heard that term? Deceit, the deceitfulness of riches. Anybody ever heard it? Huh. Okay. Jesus said that in, uh, in a couple of the Gospels, in the uh, parable of the sower. Now how many of you have heard it? I'm kidding. Um, you know what the deceitfulness of riches is? It's that if I have money and if I have a certain amount of money, if I have enough money and I have certain things that money can buy me, and if I can achieve a certain level of security that I'm pretty sure money can get me, then I will be happy, then I will be satisfied, I will be content, and that is the deceitfulness of riches. Here's the deal. With wealth comes opportunity. With wealth comes options. Oh, oh, wait, wait, stop, stop, stop. Just in case you think you're exempt from this discussion about wealth because you're not wealthy. The average American income is just under $40,000 a year or about $105 a day. $105. Now, now you've just figured out where you are when it comes to American standards. 50% of the people on earth, about 3.5 billion people, live on less than $2 a day. Half of the Earth's population. A billion of those live on less than $1 a day. $1 a day. But Americans, less than 5% of the world's population, it takes $105 a day 
So I know you want to compare yourself with your neighbors and with so-and-so and with someone sitting a few seats away from you right now who has that because, you know, they've got so much more than you do. And they, you know. Let's look at the bigger picture. If you live in a house, if you drive a car, if you've been vaccinated against any diseases, if you drink clean water, and if you wear shoes, you are wealthy. One of the problems with poverty is the lack of options. And with wealth comes options and comes opportunity. I love this verse in Proverbs 30 where the writer said, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Because wealth is a distraction, and wealth brings options, and wealth is one of those good things that has the potential to uh, be a stumbling block. The flip side of this, I guess, is hard times. Uh, a hard time can be a stumbling block, can it? I mean, has it ever been for you? Uh, man, because difficult times ding our faith, don't they? I mean, difficult times make us wonder, you know, has God given up on me? I haven't given up on him quite yet. Has he given up on me? You know, difficult times cause us to wonder, is God even there? Is God listening, really? Is he listening to my prayers? Difficult times can be a stumbling block. Let's just acknowledge that. But Jesus' point is this, and he doesn't, he doesn't really tell us what they are. He just says, look, it's impossible for you to get through life without the potential to cause you to stumble, um, without these things being thrown in our way that have the potential to cause us to stumble. And I don't think I have to convince you of that because most of us have lived enough life now to, to have, know that to be true because we've stumbled and we've seen it and we know that we're prone to stumble and that the least little thing when we can't see it can cause us to stumble. I do this all the time. You know, I move furniture a few days a week. And the other day, it was, Kevin and I were carrying something, and I was walking backwards, and I tripped on a rug that was about three-eighths of an inch high. I just kind of stumbled. I'm like, it, it, I didn't see it. It doesn't have to be a chair or a piano in front of you. The least little thing can cause us to stumble. Let me ask you this question, and then we'll move on. Do you think it's possible that there's something out there that could cause you to stumble out of a growing relationship with Christ. That could cause you to stumble away from the things that you currently embrace. Do you think there's anything out there that could cause you to stumble away from your values, away from the things that you're committed to right now? Uh, do you think that's possible? Honestly, it doesn't matter how you answer the question because the answer is yes, because Jesus said that's the answer to the question. That's what Jesus said. So do you think there are things that could be set in front of your middle schoolers and your high school students and your college-age children that could cause them to stumble away from their faith and stumble away from their values and stumble away from the things that you've tried to teach them? Oh, yeah. I think we sit in church sometimes and we listen to the pastors up here talking about stuff and saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Look out, that could be a stumbling block. Look out, be careful, pay attention. And we sit there like, well, that's not going to happen to me. But for every single one of us, there is something out there that if it's thrown in our way at just the right time, has the potential to take us out when it comes to our faith, to take us out when it comes to our personal relationship with God, to take us out when it comes to our effectiveness for God, to take us out when it comes to our reputation. And Jesus promises that, hey, these things are going to come. Impossible it is for you to completely avoid these things that cause people to stumble. So here's why this is so important as it relates to my desire, my dream, for all of us to be connected in circles. It's easy to stumble out of church. 
the Sunday morning thing. Because Sunday morning church is like an attendance thing. All of us can probably tell a story about a stage in our lives where we stumbled away from church. It's easy to stumble out of church. I've seen some good things cause people to stumble out of Sunday church. Work? Work's a good thing for the most part, you know? And sometimes it is a stumbling block. Work, youth sports, work, the races, school, work, mud runs, work. It's easy. It's so easy for good things to cause us to stumble away. It's even easy to stumble out of belief, some misinformation, a bad experience, too many distractions, the wrong influences. It's easy to stumble out of faith. It's so easy to stumble out of your personal relationship with God. Because at some point you realize, well, I don't read my Bible as much as I once did. I don't pray as much as I once did. I don't get to church as much as I once did. I don't serve as much as I once did. But here's the thing. It is almost impossible to stumble out of community. It's almost impossible to stumble out of connection. It's almost impossible to stumble out of a group of like-minded, connected people who are doing life together, and you're praying together, and you're asking the difficult questions together, and you're living in God's Word together. I'm telling you, it is next to impossible to stumble out of that. You've got to be really intentional if you're going to leave that environment because it's relational, and people are paying attention to what's going on in your life. That's why it's so important that you're in some kind of regular, predictable, maybe even structured, if that's what you need, community. Because it's almost impossible to stumble out of that. The wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus was King Solomon, pretty much established. Solomon said a lot of incredible things that he didn't apply to himself. In fact, Solomon gives us the reason that Solomon screwed things up. He didn't, he didn't even take his own advice, which is it's just crazy. What he said was extremely wise and extremely practical and extremely important, and then he became a case study for what happens when you don't do the things that Solomon said you should do. So, but, if you're, but before we're too critical of Solomon, most of us um, at some time or another have been guilty of the same thing. But anyway, here's what Solomon said. He said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. <clears throat> he said, two are better than one. How many of you have ever heard that phrase used in a wedding ceremony? <laughs> it's not what it's talking about. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So even 3,000 years ago, they recognized that one person can do one person's work, but you put two people together, they can actually do the work of three people. There's a synergy that happens. You put two oxen together, they can pull the load of at least three times the load of one ox because of the principle of synergy, which says that the creation of a whole is greater than the simple sum of its parts. Solomon begins this discussion by saying, okay, two people, two oxen, two anything are better than one because you have a good return, you have a better return on your labor. Then he says this, verse 10, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. So if you're walking side by side with someone and one of you falls down, you can reach out and help the other up. If you're walking with someone and someone, is, someone then is there to help you up. And then here's the contrast, he says, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Pity the one who falls, and when they fall, there's no one there to help them up. In my world, which is a little bit weird in this whole, you know, church leadership, pastoral thing, in my world, in the world of church leadership, uh, aside from illness and death, 
the most difficult phone calls and emails that I get when people reach out and say, you know, I need someone to help me with, fill in the blank, you know, my teenager. I need someone to help me with my husband. I need someone to help me with my wife. Our marriage is in trouble. I need a friend, you know. Uh, I need help with my friend. He's drinking too much. He's abusing subscription or prescription drugs. She's got something going on with a married man. I need, I need help. I need somebody here. Somebody I love has stumbled. They're lying in the ditch. They've stumbled away from God. There's no one there to help them. I need somebody. Would you call them? They've, now they're in a destructive, you know, behavior. Somebody I love has stumbled. Will you help me? And I'm awful, but the first thing I want to know is, are you connected to any other believers? Are you connected significantly to any other followers of Jesus? Is there a circle of Christ followers around this person we're talking about? And here's why I want to know that. Because after doing this, uh, for me, it's been around small groups, but doing this community thing for 20, over 20 years, here's what I've learned. That when a teenager, a 20-something, a husband, a father, a wife, a mother, an individual is connected to a group of believers in a circle then we know there's someone there to help them up. That's why I'm always asking that question. Are you connected to other believers? Is it, you know, it, it isn't to feed some program in our church, um, and it, it's just not about that. 99 times out of 100, the answer to the question is no, you know, and I kind of already know that. Otherwise, they wouldn't be reaching out to me. Um, they wouldn't have to call us because someone in their circle would have already been there to help them up and pick them up out of the ditch. Solomon was the richest and wisest, most powerful man in the world, and he stumbled himself. And no one was there to help him up because he didn't implement the things that he wrote. And because he was so wealthy and so powerful and he became so autonomous and so isolated and, you know, he had it all figured out because he's super smart and there's no one else. No one had access to him either. And yet the wisest man in the world says, pity the person who stumbles and falls and there's no one there to help them up. Pity the person who stumbles and falls and no one is so relationally connected to them that they see what is happening or what has happened and can stop and help them in some cases, help them before they even stumble. I think the tragedy in the life of the church is for men and women and teenagers to just be doing life and thinking, you know, well, that's nice, but I don't really need that. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've read lots of books. I haven't missed church in 27 years. I used to teach Sunday school. Hey, whatever happened to Sunday school? I don't really need that. Sounds great for some people. In fact, I can think of some people who would really benefit from what you're talking about, Todd. I'll make sure that they get the CD, you know, but I don't really need that. I don't really have a time for it. First of all, I mean, I'm busy. I have a job, but I have kids, and I come to church most Sundays. I just don't really have the time. And then they stumble and they fall. And there's no one who has the integrity of relationship, who has access to, who is doing life with, that can come alongside and say, I noticed you're struggling. I noticed you stumbled. Let me help you. Here's the deal. When people stumble morally, they don't necessarily want to be helped back up, right? When people stumble out of marriage, they don't always want to be helped back up. Usually, it's no thanks, leave me alone. I like it down here in the ditch. It's great. The scenery's awesome. I'm loving it down here. Go help someone else. When we stumble, we don't even want people to help us. Pity anyone who stumbles and has no one to help them up because they are not connected to anyone who has access, who has a relational connection, who even knows what's going on. And you can say, well, I may not, you know, you, you may not want our help right now, but we're just going to stand here and wait. We're going to come around you and we are, we'll stand here while you are comfy in the ditch, but we'll wait. There's going to come a point we aren't going to let you stay down. We aren't going to leave you in the ditch. The truth is, when you stumble, 
What you need the most, you desire least. When you stumble, what you need the most, you desire least. When you stumble, because, you know, and so if you're sitting here thinking, well, I, when I stumble, then I'll reach out to somebody. Mm. No, you won't. When you stumble because things got bad and your faith took a ding, when you stumble because you got distracted and got involved with someone who you shouldn't have gotten involved with, when you stumble because, like most Americans, you have so much and so many options and so many opportunities and you work so hard to keep up and to maintain your image, the last thing you're going to want is for someone to stop and help you up. But it'll be the thing you need the most. In my first couple of years of marriage, I thought it would be cool, but our dad and I thought it would be cool, it was actually dad's idea, that we thought it would be cool to start a Christmas show in our church, in our previous church. And in just a couple of years, it had grown to a three-night performance, had a huge budget, had you know, dozens of people involved, attracted hundreds of people. We would meet with our team the first time in April, and we'd decide on a theme and a timeline. By September, we were into rehearsals. In the third year of the show, that all sounds great, but in the third year of the show, at one point, I had spent 60 of 63 nights at the church, working, I thought it was because I was so dedicated and creative, working on set design and set construction and auditions and rehearsals and whatever else needed to be done. And somewhere in the middle of 60 out of 63 nights, and I, my first couple of years of marriage, I guess I'd been married three years at that point, somewhere in the middle of all that, one of my closest confidants, someone who had access to me, approached me and said, Todd, you need to go home. And I was like, what? Um, I'm working on something here. Well, you've been here so many nights, you've lost track. It's gotten ridiculous. It's unhealthy. You need to go home. You need to take your wife out to dinner or something. Here's 50 bucks. Go. And I was ticked. Because this guy who was supposed to be my friend, he wasn't even involved in the thing that was so important to me, so I was ticked. And I didn't go home. And it was stupid. And I resented his words for quite a while, and I think we pushed through that season of that show, And I resented his lack of involvement, which I saw as a lack of support. I resented his audacity. Yeah, we were good friends, and I respected him, but you know what business did he have to get involved in something personal like that? I didn't invite the invitation. I didn't ask him what he thought about the schedule I was keeping. And in turn, I was expecting other people to keep it too. I didn't ask for his help. But eventually, Alethea and I had a discussion, and I discovered that my friend was right. And we continued to do the show in future years with a lot of success, and it grew kind of exponentially. But in the process, we redesigned the entire prep schedule so that it never got out of control like that again for me or for anyone else. And a few years later, I was able to go to my friend and thank him for speaking truth into my life and for being willing to risk tension in our friendship for the sake of my well-being and for helping me when he saw me heading for the ditch. He was holding me accountable before, you know, before accountability became a churchy cliche. We never even used that word. That sounds minor to you, but here's, a, here's my point. If you haven't laid the groundwork relationally, if you haven't gotten significantly connected to some people who can be there for you to disagree with you, people who are there for you don't agree with you all the time. They can disagree with you. They can tell you the truth when you don't want to hear it. Who refuse to go away, who refuse to leave you in the ditch. If you don't have those kinds of relationships and things are good, Solomon says, pity anyone who doesn't have that because when you need it, you're not going to want it. And when you need it, you're not going to seek it out. And when you need it, you're not going to initiate it. So that's why, that's why, really, I want us to be connected. 
because the best preparation you can make for the inevitability of stumbling blocks is to be connected relationally. Because you can stumble out of church attendance, you can stumble out of a quiet time, you can stumble out of an attitude of worship, you can stumble out of spiritual disciplines, you can stumble relationally in your marriage with your kids, with your parents, with your coworkers, with your extended family, you can stumble in all these areas. But it's next impossible to stumble away from biblical community where you are connected significantly to other Christ followers in a really meaningful way. Parents... As a parent of a 21-year-old and a 17-year-old, I'm telling you this is, this, this is strong, this isn't Bible, this is just me talking here for this parenthetical, okay? You are crazy. You are crazy. You're missing the opportunity of a lifetime if you don't have your children and middle schoolers and teenagers plugged into uh, uh, a children and youth ministries. I'm going to say right here at Faith Community, okay? Because essentially what we're developing for children and teenagers and middle schoolers are connecting groups. These ministries, some of them even break out into small groups in their own environment. Or if the environments are small enough, they function like small groups where everyone can know everybody's name. They know what's going on with each other's life. They can know and be known. Because I'm telling you, by the time your, your kid hits 10th grade and they're not plugged in, it's almost impossible to get them plugged in. And some of you are nodding your heads. Oh, by the way, it's not the church's fault. Because you're not helping them lay the groundwork for their future. And when your kids stumble, and you know this, they're not going to listen to you. Who are they going to listen to? So pity the 10th grader. Pity the junior. Pity the senior in high school. Pity the college freshman who stumbles and has no one to help them up. This, this whole idea is not a peripheral for me in my view of the church. This isn't an add-on. This isn't a, oh, yeah, we do church on Sunday mornings. Of course we do. Yeah, it's awesome. It's what we're all about. And uh, if you want to do something else, I guess, you know, you can start a Bible study or whatever. You know, that's great. Good luck to you. That'd be nice. There, there have been, well, we've been doing small groups of some kind in some form or another, and it's what we call them. It's, doesn't necessarily mean a program, since day one at Faith Community. There have been times where we've taken a break, and then we've, re, we've tweaked and retooled and relaunched. Um, we basically pulled the plug on our groups here, as we've known them, uh, sometime late last year, before Christmas. And we've spent 2014 having lots of conversations about where we go next with our small group environments, or these environments that are built around circles, and we determined we would not simply relaunch the same model that we've been using, because the truth is the model is old and tired and less effective, and some of us love it, and some could care less, but we want to move forward. What we really want, more than anything else, is for you to be connected, for you to have significant growing connections with other followers of Jesus. It doesn't really matter to us where or how that happens. It's not something we can track on a graph, I don't think. It, it, it just matters to us that it happens and that it's meaningful and honest, and that it's growing, and that the relationship revolves around Jesus. So we're working on fleshing out some ideas for what that means, what exactly that might look like in the next few months. We're more convinced than ever that circles are better than rows, and we are equally convinced that the way we've always done it is no longer the best way for us to do it. So that's why we're getting together tonight, 
commercial number two and talk about this. You're all invited. Did I tell you that? You're all invited tonight to Connection Roundtable at 6.30-ish. And we're going to have some coffee, and we're going to, have, we're going to drink, eat whatever sweet stuff you bring. And we don't have a very tight agenda. In fact, as of this moment, there is no agenda. I know you find that hard. Those of you who know me don't believe that. There is no agenda. There's no document on my computer. There's no paper. There's no, no note in my Bible. There's nothing in my pocket. I got no agenda. I got seven hours to come up with one, but we got no agenda. <laughs> We're just going to ask some questions. We're not making any big announcements. It's not going to be like, oh, all right, you guys are here on ground floor. Like, great opportunity. You can get involved. We're not unveiling any new programming. We simply want you, we want to have a conversation with you about how to create the most effective environments where meaningful connections can happen. We're convinced that's where growth happens. Oh, oh, oh. I'm convinced, convinced that's where evangelism can happen. That to create environments where there's significant connection and we can invite our unchurched, far-from-God friends? Ah, I'm convinced. So let me just say, if you've ever led a small group in our church, ever hosted it, well, it doesn't, this church, any church, whatever, if you've ever hosted a small group, if you feel passionately about the need for significant relationships with other believers, if you think you have something to offer, if you're just curious, or you'd like to see what a meeting looks like with Todd leading with no agenda, uh, if you are in need of some connections right now for yourself personally, if you wish we were sitting in circles right now and, didn't, and could talk more about this right now and not just sit there and Rosa stare at me, um, come tonight. Um, come stay as long as you can or as long as you want. I don't know how long it'll go. We're going to talk. We're going to ask questions. We're going to listen. We're going to take notes. And then we're going to go from there. Listen, listen. I love Sunday mornings. It's the only morning of the week that I look forward to. Some of us love what happens here on Sunday mornings. We think it's awesome. We're always wanting to make it better and more impactful and more memorable and more welcoming and more engaging and more helpful and all that. But listen, stumbling blocks are going to come. And when they do, you won't have any desire to come and sit in rows because when it comes to stumbling blocks, sitting in rows is pointless. There has to be somebody in your life who's so connected, who loves you so much, who is so connected to you that they feel comfortable standing beside you, speaking truth into your life, connect, correcting you when you're wrong, encouraging you when you're right, and helping you out of the ditch. And when I look around this room, I know there are people here who have done exactly this for other people. I know the stories. I know some of you have basically done interventions. You've basically said, we're coming in, we see the direction you're heading, and we're not letting you get away. We're not, we're not letting you end up in the ditch, because that's where you're headed. You've done all kinds of things. You've said some really difficult things. You've, you've jeopardized friendships for the sake of helping your friend. You've sacrificed time and energy to say, while you're down, we're not going away. So you've seen the power of this. You've, you know that sitting in rows in church is good, but it's not everything. It just doesn't meet the need when you've stumbled and you're lying in the ditch wondering if anyone will notice. Stumbling blocks are inevitable. Impossible it is to avoid them forever. The question is, who's going to be there with you? Who's going to be walking with you when they come? Because pity the person who stumbles and has no one to help them up. So I've been asking these questions. I'm going to ask them again. What if? What if we could create environments where real relationships with God and with each other could grow every time we gather? 
What if all kinds of people could gather in these environments to hear inspiring stories and engage in conversation on a regular basis? What if we gathered with one another to discuss topics that are relevant to our lives, spend lots of time in guided conversation, and experience a spiritual aha that connects God to our everyday lives? Is it even possible for a church to create environments where people can fully expect to grow closer to someone every time they're there? Is it possible for church to be known as the place where we all go to grow in our relationships? Whether you recognize it and admit it or not, we all crave relationships. We want to be known. We want to contribute to the conversation. We want to be heard. Here's the deal. Faith in God develops much like other relationships. It's not a strict linear process. It's not complete these classes, get the certificate, there you go. It's like our human relationships. It's messy. It's filled with ups and downs, lots of forward and backwards. God, our Heavenly Father, is real. He's alive. He's active in our world. And he is ultimately relational. Faith comes to life through relationships. Jesus said, loving God and loving people. So I hope you'll come back tonight to be a part of the conversation because this has been rather one-way conversation this morning. I think we'll talk about creating relevant environments where we can, or relational environments where we can experience God, where we can meet practical needs in our community and in the lives of each other, where we can provide fellow Christ followers with meaningful ministry opportunities. Maybe in the process, here's what I'd like to think, that maybe in the process we even close the back door of the church. No one's ever figured out how to do that. So anyway, I don't even know how to close this. Um, I know for us... For my family, we've been, we've been on a nine-month hiatus with our group, and we are firing it back up this month. Be, here's why. It's not because, oh, man, it's fall. It's September. We've got to kick the programs back in. It, we aren't even sure what it's going to look like, but we're going to fire it back up because we just refuse to go any, another month without reconnecting with these significant relationships that mean so much to us. If you've been in a group of some kind in the past, in this church or another church or, or a community group or a Bible study or a men's group or a women's group or whatever, and you had a bad experience, so what? I can't do the group thing. I've never found one that fits, and I had some weird experiences, and it just wasn't good. So what? I've known a lot of you a long time. Some of you have had some bad haircuts, but you didn't stop getting haircuts. You probably had a bad meal in a restaurant one time and had crappy service. Am I allowed to say that? And, um, but you, yeah, thanks. But you didn't stop going to restaurants. I, I got all kinds of analogies, okay? Bad things happen all the time in churches. Put on your big boy pants. Do whatever it takes to get into intentional, relational, maybe even structured environments with other believers. Just do it. Don't give up on this because you had one bad experience. Don't give up on it because you tried once or twice or 17 times and it didn't really work for you. Because you tried to connect with some people and they, you, know, you thought it was really great and then they all turned out to be weirdos. <laughs> That's our group. <laughs> I love you. you know, so you decided to keep all your relationships with church people at a level where it can be maintained with some surface conversation before and after church on Sunday. 
I love before and after church. Don't get me wrong. Okay, I love it. I think we need to do a better job at it. I think we ought to get really, really intentional. Everybody in this room right now, get really, really intentional about getting to church earlier. The coffee's hot at 9.30 for a reason because we think a half-hour conversation with one another would be really, really positive and really uh, impactful, and some people need it, and other people need to provide it. And uh, so you have a role to play. You either need it or you are needed in those conversations on Sunday morning. So when we say the coffee's hot at 9.30, man, we'd love for you to be here. And, and don't ever feel rushed to leave after church because uh, we may be in the lobby and we may be shaking hands, but that doesn't mean we're trying to get you out the door because some of us are the last to leave and we'll stay all afternoon because uh, I DVR all the football games. So don't, I will stay all afternoon and talk to you. Uh, and so will other people. We need to be a little more intentional about that, less intentional about getting here just in time to get our seat and less intentional about getting out the door so we can get to the lunch and more intentional about spending time with one another because here's the deal. If the relationships you have at church can be maintained with the conversations you have before and after church, <coughs> that's just sad. Because this is great. I love this environment. Don't get me wrong. We're trying to make it better. We try all the time to make it even better. But if this is the basis for your relationship with other Christians, I mean, oh, so you know their names. We're in a name tag. Where they, you know where they live, you know where they work, you know where, what they think about the weather this week, whether they thought it was unseasonably warm or unseasonably cold, and, and that's great. Oh, wow. You know, oh, by the way, don't count on those people to be there when you stumble. Oh, oh, did I tell you? I should have told you this, that we do have an agenda for your life. I should have told you that at the beginning, I suppose. It should be on our brochure, which we don't have. But we, here's our agenda. We want you to be in circles. Because it's in circles, in your living room, around your kitchen table, around the fire pit, over coffee, on the golf course, in the boat. You get the idea. It's in circles that significant connections are made. And when stumbling blocks are placed in your path and when you're down, we want someone to be there to help you. This isn't, okay, no, everybody sign up to get in a circle and we'll tell you where you're going to be and who your leader's going to be and what book you're going to, not talking about that. I'm just talking about significant relationships with one another. That's what we want. I'm going to play a song. Well, I'm not going to play a song. We're going to play it from the system. From an old album. Old album. The CD was released in 1995. I know you didn't know they had CDs in 1995. Kind of in the middle of my youth ministry days, and I still believe it's one of the greatest Christian albums ever released. So you know what I'm talking about, right? Ben does. Do you know? It's from the album Jesus Freak by DC Talk. Yeah. And the song, anyway, I'm just going to let it play. The song is What If I Stumble. <laughs> 